First Samuel chapter number 14, okay? First Samuel chapter number 14. Let's stand in honor of God's word. First Samuel 14 is 52 verses long. So that's a long chapter. There's a lot in there. And uh, we're, we took the first uh, attempt at the chapter and really just focusing primarily on Saul tonight. Uh, probably one third of the message is going to be on Saul again. There's just, there's parts we didn't cover. It's towards the latter part. We're kind of uh, following the chapter a little bit of a different way, not just, not just in order, but we, we went deep in the chapter. Now we're coming back. So, but two thirds of the message is going to be on, on Jonathan. And I'm looking forward to really emphasizing that. And so um, there, there are just a lot of life lessons we can learn right here. If we just will tune into it, be a big help and, and I trust a big encouragement. So let's just read the first uh, 14 verses, okay? So 1 Samuel 14 and verses 1 through 14. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan... The son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. His father was king, by the way, Saul. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a tree, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli. Those names sound familiar? Harkening back to chapter 4. Uh, the Lord's priests in Shiloh were in Enifad, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Boses and the name of the other Sinna. The forefront of the one was situate, situate northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. Now th they would have known right where that was. You and I don't. But it's between two sharp rocks. You got that much, right? Two sharp rocks. And those rocks have a name. We'll get to that a little bit later. And Jonathan said to his young man, to the young man rather, that bear his armor. Come, let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I love it. I love it. And his armor bearer said unto him, I like this too, look at it, verse 7, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. You know what he's saying right there? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> then said Jonathan, Behold, we pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say unto us, Tarry until we come down unto you. Then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. 
And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you a thing. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Right we'll show you a thing or two. I mean, that's really, that's, that's the idea of it. That's how we say it, right? We'll show you a thing or two. Come on up here. Yeah. Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. He stuck them. <laughs> he got them. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which an oka, a yoke of oxen might plow. And so then the account goes on that there was a trembling. I mean, they were terrified. They were basically in a stampede, <laughs> Philistine stampede, an earthquake. God calls there to be a great earthquake. They were already were shaking and he shook them up even more. And they were on the run. So our, um, our title tonight in our series here, when a nation needs revival, when a nation needs revival, there needs to be courageous teamwork, courageous teamwork. I want to challenge us with that tonight. Courageous teamwork, climbing together when others are falling apart, climbing together, climbing together. I, I, actually, I'd like to make some application, even get ready for our missions conference, climbing together when others are falling apart. I think about Carl Boonstra and the acronym TEAM. Together, everyone achieves more. Climbing together. Well, here's two that achieve more than the whole 600 others or 598 that were doing nothing, including Saul. Climbing together when everyone else is falling apart. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's, let's consider this great truth here tonight. Well, Jerry Ross wrote a book about his elk hunt up in Montana. It's a, uh, we're using it as a devotional right now. It's about, the chapters are two pages each, so it's real easy to read as a devotional for the family if you're looking for something and you want to learn about elk hunting or even more so about the Bible, then, uh, then it's, a great, uh, it's a great read, really. It is. It is. It's, in, it's enjoyable. And uh, in fact, by the way, we've got Brother Jerry Ross coming in um, November. Looking forward to that. Uh, he also wrote Stay in the Castle. And so I'm really excited about Brother Ross being with us. I don't want to read this chapter to you. I mean, it wouldn't take long. and I'm just going to highlight parts of it. But we, we literally just read this chapter our last time we read out of this particular book, um, just this last week. <clears throat> and, it, and it's title of the chapter seven is, it only seems to be easier going down than up. It only seems to be easier going down than up. It only seems to be easier. Now, I, I wonder among those of you that maybe uh, run, would you rather run up or down? <laughs> I think I heard a mixture 
of uh, answers there. I, I prefer to run up. Um, it's easier running up than down. I have fallen running down. I have not yet fallen running up. The good thing about if you fell while running up, you don't go far. But if you fall while you're running down, you could go a long way. It only seems easier going down than up. Let me read just a little bit, give you a little sense of the chapter, if I may. During our five-day hunt, I did a lot of climbing up and down. Climbing up a mountain requires more energy than going down, but in, another, in every other way, climbing up is easier than going down. That's right. Up was easier. He says, our bodies, listen to this, it's very interesting. I think he's onto something. Our bodies were not designed to descend. The only time my knees hurt was when I was climbing down. Your leg and feet muscles, as well as your skeleton, are not designed for steep descent. It was as if our creator purposefully designed humans to climb, to go upward, not downward. It's much more dangerous climbing down than up. When you ascend the mountain, you naturally, your body leans into the mountain. Your center of gravity helps to balance you. And, and he even says, if you fall, then you're easy to catch yourself with your hands. Plus, no one has ever fallen forward and rolled up the mountain. <laughs> Valid point right there. All right. Climbing down, though, you have to lean unnaturally backward and keep your balance and your feet shift. Uh, into the toes of your boots and your leg muscles and knee cartilage are under constant strain. And if I, I've never, I never fell going up the mountain, but did fall several times, he says, descending. And, and that's, you're more likely to have serious injury going down. Many a man, he says, has looked up at the paths of life and been tempted to take what appears to be the easier direction. After all, it may seem logical that going down is easier than going up. A lower life may at first seem more appealing than an upward life. But for those who choose to descend, they find it takes a taxing and terrible toll. And that's why the songwriter wrote this. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. You notice we don't sing, I'm tripping on the downward way, new lows I'm hitting every day, not praying as I'm backward bound, I should have climbed a higher ground. You know, <laughs> He's, he goes on, a man uh, chooses low morals, a man who chooses low morals, shallow character and carnal standards will soon find his life in a downward spiral. It always seems easier to do wrong than it is to do right. Can anybody testify that? It always seems easier to do wrong than it is to do right, especially when the vast majority of humanity seems to be headed into the low swamps of depra depravity. But I would again remind you, going down will in the long run take a greater toll on you than going up. I said, oh, I'm going to read this whole thing too, but here I am. Okay, I've used two more paragraphs and we're done. God waits on the mountain. He says, God waits on the mountain. Those who want the sweetest fellowship with him must climb. Up at the top is rare air. If you make the effort, you'll often have to do it alone. The good news, you're never, it's never crowded on the top. <laughs> but few men and women who are up there, the few men and women who are up there are worth getting to know. Like I said, it may not seem at first logical. And yes, it might take more energy 
to climb up than down, and it might take a little longer getting to the top than descending to the bottom. But whoever stood at the base of a mountain said, man, what of you? This is very evident, even in the life of um, Saul and Jonathan. One was slipping down a downward spiral. The other was literally climbing on hands and knees. Last time we were together, I, I, I want to I consider a little bit of the life of Saul. I told you that a third of this message is going to be on Saul and two-thirds on Jonathan. But we need to be reminded that when it comes to your obedience and repentance, that your disobedience and a lack of repentance, you're wasting more than just your own potential. We really need to take that truth in, that when I live in disobedience to God and when I fail to repent, now it's one thing to be disobedient to God and repent because then you're back on track. But if you are disobedient and you don't repent and you're not back on track, then you're on that downward spiral. And you're wasting your potential, but you're not just wasting your potential, but you're also, I mean, it just stands to reason. We may, we may not think that way, but you naturally are affecting the potential of others whose life you could impact if you would do right. Does that, that make sense to you? I don't mean to belabor the point, but I think it is very important. And, and so here they were in a very distressing situation. I mean, they were literally surrounded by the Philistines. They certainly were outnumbered. And then not only that, but they also were disarmed. I mean, they, they had taken away all their weapons and, and, uh, and, and they were down to just farming uh, implements except for Jonathan and for his father Saul. They were the only two that had swords. And so, so they were in a very dire situation. In fact, I could say it this way, perhaps. They really needed Saul to lead them in a spiritual way. But at such a time, he had disobeyed God by going ahead and making the sacrifice instead of waiting on Samuel. And, and then in, in chapter 13 and verse number uh, 15, I believe it is, it talks about how that Saul or Samuel rather walked off. And, and so there, there is Saul, King Saul. And, and you, you don't hear, I mean, you hear Samuel say that now you're, you have been rejected as a king and God's going to raise up somebody else. And, but you don't hear Saul giving, I'm sorry, you don't hear Samuel giving Saul any more instruction. It's almost this way, folks. Saul had acted on his own, and now he was on his own. You know, there's a danger right there. If you say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think I need all this preaching. I don't think I need all the counsel. I think I can figure things out on my own. You know what might happen? God might let you live that way. Unless you begin that downward spiral. And so now here is Saul, listen to this, trying to find his way forward without godly leadership. I think there's a lot of, a lot of even Christians, people that used to be in church and such, that are, may, hang on, wait a minute, not just used to be in church, but maybe even in church, but are still trying to find a way forward without godly leadership. Everybody listening to me here just a moment? I think there's a lot of Christians that may try to find their way forward without godly leadership. And there's a vacuum right there. There's a vacancy right there. And here's what will happen if you don't have godly counsel in your life, you'll go to a higher. You go to poor spiritual leadership. Okay, so I mean, I, I didn't really point this out last time. And that's why there's a great joy in preaching and pastoring when you're preaching is that if you forgot something last week, you can say it this week. So here was Saul in a rejected dynasty talking to Ahiah 
from Eli's side of the priesthood, a rejected priesthood. I'm telling you, they weren't good for each other. But when you get out from under God's counsel, it's amazing how that rebels find rebels. Rebels find rebels at, at camp. I mean, it doesn't take long. Rebels find rebels at Bible college. Rebels find rebels at church. And, and on and on it goes because when you, when you say, I don't want God's counsel in my life, you're going to get somebody's counsel. And so that's where Saul was. And so here you have a rejected king and a rejected priest together trying to figure things out and how to figure this out and how to go forward. Hmm. All right. So we said that he was uh, wasting more than his own potential. In fact, what we have in chapter 14 is highlighting the great potential that was in Jonathan. I mean, let me ask you this, just what we read with the kind of faith he had, the kind of courage he had, the type of initiative that he took, the type of leadership that he provided to this one man, this armor bearer. Let me ask you this, would Jonathan, would Jonathan have made a wonderful king? I believe he would have, but he never had the opportunity because his dad made bad choices. You see, when you make bad choices, it affects more than just you. Now, we're, we're going to get on to Jonathan, and I am encouraged that he did not allow the faithlessness of his father to determine his faith. It's a blessing. Uh, Saul also limited the potential of his soldiers. I, I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but you remember that uh, he said, nobody eat. They're about to go into battle. You know what you need right there? Energy bars. Protein bars. You need meat. Amen. Meat. God made us eat meat. And, and that's what they needed. But he said, nobody eat. And so now they're going into battle weary. Listen, let me just make this point. I'm trying my best just to move on here. But there's some things that need to be reiterated, I believe, because poor spiritual leadership keeps people from getting what they really need. Dads, husbands, listen, all of us, I, I, I want to try to provide the right kind of spiritual leadership. I believe you do as well. But when we slack off our families, our wives don't get what they need and our kids don't get what they need. Are you listening to me here tonight? I mean, we need to really own up to that. And, and, and then uh, there, how many churches across the land are spiritually anemic because the pastor's out playing the golf a lot more than being in the study. It's hard work to get messages together and ready. And, and, and there's a hundred other things. No, wait a minute. Let me rephrase that. A thousand other things that a pastor could be doing. But I surrender to preach. Amen. And I know that it's the preaching of the word that helps us. And so I want to endeavor by the grace and help of God to come ready every week. I mean, no pastor that I know wouldn't say, man, I sure could use a whole nother day. But I endeavor to come ready to preach. And I know that every other man that comes here to stand and preach, they come ready to preach and, and, to, and to feed the flock of God. And, and so may God help us always to do that because if we get into a, a poor spiritual form of leadership, then the people that are under us or the people that are around us, the people that are impacted by our lives, whether you be a dad or you be a mom or you're a boss at work, or if you, I'm just simply saying this, if you are out of sorts with God, somebody's not getting from you what they really need, even as a friend. He wasn't in the right place with God. I want you to look at verse number 37. We're moving way deep in the chapter. We are going to come back, but here, here they've had this success. Please uh, let, me, let me just go here and then we'll come back, you know, to the early part of the chapter. But I mean, the Philistines are on the run and, and uh, 
And uh, uh, Saul is, uh, Saul is, is saying uh, to, you know, Ahiah, hey, uh, do your thing, you know, priest, do your thing. But then when the army is, Philistines are running so fast, he says, here, forget your thing. That thing is the spiritual thing that needed to be done. And he said, listen, we got to act now. And so that's, that's what he does. But then they have such success in verse number 30, 36. Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light. In other words, he said, let's get after it. I mean, we got them on the run now. Let's get them. And all the people said, yeah. All right. Now, I don't think the people actually right there, it doesn't say, yeah. No, he says, do whatever seemed good unto thee. In other words, they're with him. But then the priest, ironically, the priest said, you know, probably we ought to check with God on that. How about that? Well, they check with God, but here's the problem. They use the, you know, the ephod or the, uh, the, um, the Urim and the Thummim that's, that's used in, in deciphering things and such. And, and should I go? Should I not go? Saul asked that question, verse 37. Shall I go after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them up into the hand of Israel? Look at this. But he, that's be God, answered him not that day. He couldn't get an answer from God. God wasn't speaking to him. It's a terrible place to be when God's not speaking to you. And that's where Saul was. And, and so then he realized something must be wrong since God's not speaking to us. And so then you have the whole scene that takes us nearly to the end of the chapter that is basically this where he's saying somebody has sinned. In fact, that's the verbiage that Saul uses. Uh, he says someone has sinned. And by the way, they had not sinned against God. They sinned against Saul. I think that's important to note because um, we get in big trouble when we start trying to act like God and we get on some kind of a power trip. Um, and that's what Saul's doing. He's saying somebody has sinned right here and I want to know who it was and whoever it is is going to die even if it's Jonathan. Well, lo and behold, it was Jonathan because while he was going through, he saw some honey. He didn't know what his dad had said and he saw that, that, uh, honey energy bar basically and <laughs> plucked it out, ate some of it. Man, his eyes were lighting and he was fired up and ready to go again. In fact, Jonathan even says, you know, if my dad hadn't, hadn't uh, prohibited the people from, from being able to eat, then, then we would have had even, even a greater victory. In other words, he's, he's wasting the potential of the people. Jonathan saw it. And so they go through the process of lots being cast and it's Saul and Jonathan on this side and the people on this side and the lot comes down that it's not the people, it's somebody here between Saul and Jonathan. And then the lots are cast again and it was, it was Jonathan and Jonathan says, yes, I ate. And then Saul says, you've got to die. Well, all the people said, is he going to die? He's the one that delivered us. The people had to stand up against the leader. You know, it's really sad when leaders aren't le what kind of leaders they ought to be and people have to stand up. Now, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do that. And 1 Timothy 5 details how that if a church has to come and stand up to a pastor that's gone wrong doctrinally, gone wrong morally, gone wrong financially, or you listen to me, sometimes it has to happen. It's a sad thing. There's a procedure to follow. And that's basically what the people are doing with Saul. They spared Jonathan's life. They overrule Saul's ruling and he's not... He's not uh, taken out, but I'm just telling you, there's a downward spiral that, that Saul has taken because he's self-absorbed. Look at verse number 47 and 48. We still doing all right? 
47 and 48, look at this. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side. And then it lists them out by name. You got Moab and Ammon and, and Edom and Zobah and all these. I mean, it's just all the enemies that are around. In fact, here's what it is. It's like a summary statement about Saul's life, but his life's not done yet. But he's done. Now, when you look at that, and many would maybe look at that and say, man, that's, uh, that's, quite a, that's quite a resume. I mean, he defeated them, he defeated them, he defeated them, and he defeated them. I mean, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And the world would look at that maybe and say, man, look what an impressive resume. This guy is successful. God would look at it and say, actually, you should have seen how much more could have been there. And what seems to be success in the eyes of man is not success in the eyes of God. In fact, one commentator writer that I read after called this sad success. Sad success. He had a big list of things that he had done, and yet he had been disobedient to God and his kingdom came to an end. It's really quite a shame. And then the end of the chapter basically details who his wife was and who his kids were and, and who his uncle was and, and uh, the military as it was set up. And then also at the end of it, it ends just like Samuel, the prophet said it's going to do. He sees all the valiant men. He wants them to be constricted to his, his army. He, he drafts them in for his own purposes. It happened just like the man of God said it would happen. That's that downward trend. Well, let's go back to Jonathan. Okay, so back to verse four, if you want to follow along there, we're just going to kind of work through that. Here's what I'm encouraged by. Here's a, here's a man who started out right, and maybe even all right, we could say, but then he began a journey down, step by step, bad decision after bad decision. But here's a son named Jonathan who did not allow the disobedience of his father to become his disobedience and the faithlessness of his father to become his faithlessness. But rather he said to his armor bearer, let's go up. Let, let's go up and, and, and approach these uncircumcised Philistines. Uncircumcised would be a key word that he saw them not as the people of God. You know, because remember when David here a little bit later, we're going to come to David as he stood there. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, he's saying, listen, why, why is the enemy winning when we could be winning? I realize that we're outmanned, it seems like. The Goliath is, the giant is much greater or taller than we are. But, but he's nothing for God. Okay, now Jonathan had that same spirit. I am not surprised that David and Jonathan became good friends because they both had that spunk. They both had that spark. And, and so his armor bearer, he said to him, hey, let us, let us go up and here's what we'll do because there's no, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And he, he says this, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Now, now wait a minute, you know what he's doing right there? That's not, um, that's not a lack of faith. That's actually a statement of faith. It may be that the Lord will work for us. He's recognizing God's omnipotence. He's recognizing God's ability. But he also recognizes this. God's got the freedom to do whatever God wants to do. And he might deliver us and he might not deliver us. It's kind of like when the, uh, the children of Israel, the three Hebrews were in the face in the fiery furnace at Nebuchadnezzar's day and time. And they said, O king, let it be known. If God delivers us from the fire, then that's fine. If he doesn't, either way, he's going to deliver us. But, but he may not let us live. But either way, we're not going to bow. That's a statement of faith. And so uh, Jonathan is saying, hey, whether, whether it be by many or by few, God is able to deliver them into our hands. 
So let, let's go and do this. Let's do this. And so he said, here, let's, here's what we'll do. If the, the armies of the Philistines say, come up to us and we'll go up. So there they are. You know, you can see it. The, the steep rock, uh, the two rocks there. In fact, the Boses, there's a few ideas as to what that means. Um, which, by the way, you know, you go down to Arizona and maybe you're in Phoenix and you see the camelback. That mountain kind of looks like a camelback. So that's why they call it that. I know when we went on a hike, we hiked to Tom's Thumb. Tom's thumb is uh, sticking out there. It looks like a thumb, obviously. Okay, so here it is. Uh, they say that maybe this rock, it means slippery. That's one definition or could mean tooth. Okay, so who knows? <laughs> the other one they say maybe means thorny, difficulty. All right, so either way, he's facing a slippery situation that is rather thorny. It's rather difficult. And he's saying, let's go up. Unconventional military tactic right here. He's basically saying, we're going to make this thing very clear that God gave us this victory and it was not us. We're not going to take them by surprise. Special forces would have moved in and they would have just got on them without them even knowing it. They would have been taken out. Jonathan says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to discover ourselves to them. Brett, you want to help me here just a minute? Do you mind? Okay, I'll let you be the armor bearer and uh, we'll... we'll We'll work on this, all right? Okay, so he says, we're going to discover ourselves to them. And if they say to us, let us come up, then we'll know that God's delivered them into our hands. If they say, let us come down to you, if, by the way, if they went up the mountain, then that would have been a disadvantage to Jonathan and to his armor bearer, right? right? Because they have the prime position. If they came down, it would have given Jonathan and his armor bearer a slight advantage, although they're outnumbered. So how could you say that? But they're saying we're not going to engage them if they come down to us. But if they say you come up to us, then that's worst case scenario. That's what I'm looking for. Amen. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you. All right, good. All right. I don't think they fist bumped back then, but anyways. So he says, we'll discover ourselves to them. And, uh, and that's our plan. Okay, so I don't know how they did it. Hey! Hey! <laughs> you uncircumcised Philistines! We'll show you a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I don't know what they did. It just says they discovered themselves. Hey! I don't know if they jumped up and down or what they did. I don't know. But they discover themselves unto them. And then the Philistine says, oh, look at these, these dogs. Look at these animals. They just crawled out of their hole. Deriding them. And they said, come up to us. We'll show you a thing or two. <laughs> and Jonathan said, that's our sign. God's going to deliver them into their hand. Now, I, I have to confess here, I'm not exactly sure because we, we know that that only Saul had a sword and Jonathan had a sword. So I, I don't know exactly how this worked. Okay, so I'm preaching, so I'm just going to say how I think it went. All right? I don't know. Jonathan maybe had some other instrument and he had the sword or it could have been vice versa, but I know he killed him. That's right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonathan, it says, knocked him down, basically. And, and thus, while they're down, then he, he would have stuck him wherever it would have killed him. 
So they, but the thing is, is they, they went, are you ready to climb? Yeah. I mean, we got to really get into this. They're climbing on their hands and knees and they're climbing up the mountain. And so then Jonathan, maybe he's got a staff or something. He's knocking them down and coming around, you know, and, and doing all those, you got to stick them, man. Don't forget to stick them. He stuck them. <laughs> and so they're fighting all these and bam, bam. And he sticks them. <laughs> I just got a little bit too dizzy here to keep going too much. All right. But man, they work together. That's teamwork. That's teamwork. And, and they didn't feel like, watch this, they didn't feel like their limitations was God's limitations. And thus they, they knew they were going into a situation that the odds were totally stacked against them, humanly speaking. But it did not matter that the odds were stacked against them because the odds could never be stacked against their God. I mean, if there'd been 2,000 up on that mountaintop or 20,000 up on that mountaintop, it did not matter how many there were because God could have spoken, knocked them all down. There's no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And so they climbed up that mountaintop and, and God gave them a great victory. And next thing you know, it spread news, CNN, Fox, everybody saying, Jonathan is armor bearer. Not really that, but it's, it became known to the Philistines and they were in a terror. They were running away and Jonathan, I don't know what else they did. Let's just go after them. And so they, they're going after them. And so then Saul hears about it and others hear about it. And Saul gets in on it. Watch this also. This is pretty awesome. There were some of the Hebrews who had joined in with the Philistines. And when they saw what was going on, they had fallen away. They had gone, the, you know, with the enemy. But they saw who was winning. They jumped back on Israel's side. And Israel let them back in. Hey, listen, there's going to be people that will get out of God's will. What we ought to do is let them get back into God's will. And so even those that had deserted and were hiding in the rocks and hiding in the caves, they also got in on it. So watch this. The faith of two very unlikely men inspired the faith of a whole nation that got them back in the battle and God gave them great victory. Verse 23 says, the Lord gave them a mighty victory that day. It was not, it was not the, the uh, ability of Jonathan nor his armor bearer. Here's all they did. They said, I'm in, you're in. And I love what he said. I like what you said. He said, I'm with your heart. Whatever your heart is, that's what my heart is. That's it. I'm in. I'm behind you all the way. I'm with you all the way. You know what we need to do at Southwest Baptist Church? Is say, hey, I'm with you all the way. We're in this together. Seems like we've been preaching on unity quite a bit here. Seems like we've been preaching on teamwork a lot here. I'm not choosing these passages. I'm just preaching them. As we come to them, it seems like God is working and, and saying, hey, listen, as a church, you need to be working together. So some of you, even as a husband and wife, you're, you're up against some impossible odds. Thank you, Brother Brett. I'll let you be seated. Appreciate that. Uh, some of you are up against impossible odds. But here's what I encourage you. Keep climbing. It's easy to go down. Don't listen to the people that are watching divorce court all day <laughs> or listen to Judge Judy or listen to whoever else is out there and trying to tell you and then they're going through their own divorce so they're going to say to you, yeah, you ought to just divorce. I would have divorced him a long time ago. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, sure. right. Here's what's hard. 
climbing on your hands and knees and just scraping and trying to get up, up the mountain. That's what's difficult. And that's what God wants you to do. And, and wife, what you ought to be is submissive, just like we heard at the marriage retreat. And you ought to say to your husband, I'm, I'm with you. Your heart, like your heart is, that's how my heart is. I noticed that Jonathan's armor bearer didn't criticize me. Let me get it out here in just a minute. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Brother Mike, don't you? Criticize him and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's some kind of a bonehead decision. What are you thinking? We're going to get killed when we go up there. He said, no, that's what we want. We want, we want it to be very evident God did this. He didn't criticize him. He, he didn't rebel against him. He, he just, he said, listen, I, I know what your heart is and I'm with you all the way. He didn't try to come up with another plan and say, well, you know, I, that's, that's a pretty good plan, but how about we do it? No, he just went along with it. There's got to be leadership. And even in the home, there's got to be leadership. And if he's wrong, God can correct him. I'm talking about your husband. Isn't that right? God does a lot better job than you will. And you can trust him. And I'm talking about God. <laughs> but you really need to have that spirit of that armor that says, I'm in, I'm in with you on this. And being together, courageous teamwork when it comes to finances. Working together on a budget. You know, I mean, somebody's got to make money and somebody's got to spend money. <laughs> right? Somebody's got to make money and somebody's got to spend money. And you got to work on a budget together, right? And, and it requires climbing up. How I many of you say, man, that's tough stuff. Somebody said a budget is, is going, throw, going broke methodically. <laughs> Could be that way. But no, it's just saying, listen, we've got a limited amount of resources here, but our limitations are not God's limitations. So how about we do this, dear wife? How about we do this, husband? I'm with you all the way. Let's, let's tithe. Let's give. Let's, let's be faithful with our finances. Let's not spend it crazy. Let's just be very resourceful and let's climb. And it's going to take us a while to climb up out of this debt, but God will help us. God will help us. And then about parenting, you got to work together as parents, don't you? And, and these things can really be difficult because you were raised one way and she was raised one way. And your marriage is a marriage of three families, her family, your family, and the marriage that family that you now have established. And, and so you got to work together on this. And it's difficult. I'm telling you, it's like climbing up a, up a steep mountain and a dangerous mountain trying to raise kids in this day and time. It's like we're going between two sharp rocks and the Philistines are against us. But I'd much rather be climbing than going down the way of the world and just saying, let's just join in with the Philistines and let our kids just be raised any way they want to. It won't be easy, but it will be right. And your limitations are not God's limitations. Amen. Take some courageous teamwork to say, I'm in this with you, dear husband. I'm in this with you, dear wife. I'm in this. And kids, listen, and young people, you need to be in it with your parents and don't say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I mean, I know that's your plan for how our family ought to go, Dad. But my plan, <laughs> my plan doesn't go quite like that. Hey, don't have that spirit. Have the spirit that says, I I'm in on this. I'm in it. I see God in it. Let's climb. Let's climb. And then as a church family, aren't we facing an insurmountable task in the form of the Great Commission to get the gospel to the world while there's still time? And we are very limited. I'm saying to you, at a, even at a budget of 1.4 million, thank God in heaven for that, right? But even with that, in terms, of, in terms of what's needed in the world, we are very limited. 
And, and the personnel, I mean, there seems like there's more missionaries coming off the field than are going onto the field. We are very limited, but our God is not limited. So let's have that spirit of a Jonathan, that spirit of an armor bearer that says, listen, I'm going to fill out my faith promise card and I'm going to pray and I'm going to be at the missions conference and I'm going to pray for these missionaries and I'm going to be in on all this and let's work together on this and let's just see together if maybe more could be accomplished by everybody doing their part. Man, that's exciting. It's exciting. Courageous teamwork. Climbing together even when others are falling apart. It's good to fight with you, Brother Brett, alongside of you. I'm afraid sometimes we turn on each other, though, don't we? And we even stick it to our wounded. Do you see him? He's back. Do you see her? She's back. Do you see them? They're back. Deserters, traitors, turncoats. That ought not be how it ought to be in an independent fundamental Baptist church. It ought to be, hey, glad you're back. Let's go get them. You follow me? Sure, they had done wrong. There's no doubt about that. But I like it that they didn't criticize them. They said, uh, actually, you know, we've got 600. We could use some more. And see the victory that God's going to give us. Let's stand together here tonight. I appreciate your kind attention. Courageous teamwork. Climbing together, even when others are falling away or falling apart. Odds are stacked against us. But there's no restraint. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And your, your faith, if you do what God wants you to do, I, I, don't, I know God is not here condoning... Um, rash thinking. That, that wasn't it. But this is courageous thinking. We heard Wednesday night from our dear friend and pastor friend, Brother Don Ball, that a 16-year-old had a vision for what could happen if we just started reaching out to the military at Fort Leonard Wood. And my, look what has happened since then. One young man, 16 years old. How many souls have been reached because Bob Hughes had a vision for the Philippines? And others like him your faith could inspire others to get involved. Let's put our whole heart into this. Put our whole heart into doing what God wants us to do. And may God help us to do it together. Father, thank you this evening for the courage, the faith, the initiative of a man named Jonathan and his armor bearer. What a difference they made in difficult circumstances, impossible situations. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to be people of faith and courage. And Lord, um, to see you work in a great way. I know that there are couples here tonight that are facing some rather difficult and serious circumstances in their life and they need to climb together rather than fall apart. I pray you'd help them. There's some single parents here tonight that are trying to do right, trying to raise their family to serve you, I pray you'd help them. I would imagine there's some financial need here. I would imagine that, Lord, there's some situations where wrong decisions have been made and there's been feelings hurt and, 
And um, there's been disappointment, but God, I know that you're not limited by our limitations. And so I pray you'd help us to respond to you in faith. And we pray that you'd help us to have that kind of courage. In Jesus' name.